This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. A second deadly shooting in the same Burnaby neighborhood. It's very upsetting, very disturbing. You know, we don't really know what's going on. The violent struggle witnesses heard and what police are revealing about the investigation. Recognition, rejection. We, we haven't let the um, First Nations down. In fact, part of my family is First Nations. The words Surrey's mayor refuses to say and backlash from the Indigenous community. And cat controversy. Hey! Disturbing allegations after neighborhood pets mysteriously disappear. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We start with breaking news. One person has died and a search and rescue operation is ongoing for skiers caught in an avalanche in the Blackcomb backcountry. At about 3.20, at least four people were caught in the slide in an area known as the Poop Chutes, an out-of-bounds area located east of Blackcomb Glacier. Rescue crews were dispatched and, and found two people suffering from injuries, one person uninjured while one person was pronounced dead. Whistler RCMP say the Whistler Blackcomb Ski Patrol, Blackcomb Helicopters and Avalanche Technicians and Dogs are on the scene to determine if anyone else was caught in the avalanche. Rescue crews warned the snowpack across the Sea to Sky region is unstable with considerable to high avalanche risk. Meantime, a much happier ending to the search for a missing skier near Squamish today. Several search and rescue organizations spent the day looking for the man in his 30s who was reported missing Thursday night. His car was found in a parking lot at a trailhead. Just as searchers had suspended their efforts late this afternoon, the man walked out of the bush on his own power and flagged down a car. He is said to be in good condition. Now to Burnaby, where a 44-year-old man is the region's latest victim of gun violence, shot and killed in a residential area last night. It's the second deadly attack in the same neighborhood in just over a week. Jordan Armstrong has more on what we're learning about the victim and how it's left residents rattled. The victim, now identified as 44-year-old Neil Pratap, was taken to Royal Columbian Hospital just a few kilometers away, but could not be saved. Back at the scene, what is normally a quiet corner of South Burnaby is teeming with homicide cops for the second time in just over a week. Heard some bangs, loud bangs, uh, and it, it sounded like fireworks. Neighbors heard screaming and say Pratap stumbled to a family's home and tried to break in after being shot. I just heard yelling of help, help, help uh, multiple times. There were cries for help by him, okay? Uh, and people did call 911, and that's why the Burnaby RCMP responded to the area. I hit Sergeant Frank Jang as the victim lived in the area, and it appears the shooting happened as he met with someone outside around 10 p.m. The victim known to police, but according to Jang, had no obvious links to gangs. Are these two incidents related? Nothing suggests that they are related. 
Last week's shooting just steps away that killed 32-year-old Chris Kenworthy has been tied to gang activity, which RCMP stats show is up 30% in Burnaby over the last year. Bad guys. I guess that's all it is. A senior Mountie offers this to Burnaby residents who worry their city is becoming a new hotspot for gun violence. We're targeting enforcement on gang activity. We're removing guns, removing drugs from the streets, and that's our top priority is the safety of the citizens. So far, no arrests and no suspects in either homicide. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. A Vancouver man has been charged in connection with the seizure of an alarming cache of weapons from a Carisdale home. Police were initially called to a residence at U Street and West 37th in January after reports of a domestic dispute. While inside, they discovered tactical gear and numerous weapons. A search warrant resulted in the seizure of shotguns, ammunition, knives, a taser and pepper spray. This extensive search is very concerning. It appeared to our officers on scene that the alarming amount of weapons and tactical gear they saw were more than that of a gun collector. These are very dangerous weapons and we are pleased, pleased that they have been taken off the streets. 37-year-old Daryl Teal is facing charges related to the possession. He has been released from custody pending his next court appearance. Aiden Coban, the Dutchman facing multiple charges in connection to the cyberbullying case of Amanda Todd, made a brief court appearance today. Our Ramina Dea was there. It's been more than eight years since 15-year-old Amanda Todd hanged herself. Aiden Coban now on Canadian soil to face justice in the cyberbullying case of the Port Coquitlam teen. 42-year-old Coban appeared via video in courtroom 209. Madam Justice Devlin imposed a sweeping publication ban, so we can't tell you what happened Friday morning. Last week, Global News learned Coban was extradited from the Netherlands to B.C. December 7th. His surprising arrival in Canada not publicized by the B.C. Prosecution Service. Todd said she had been blackmailed by an online predator. Todd committed suicide in 2012. Coban is facing five charges in connection to Todd's case, including extortion, possession of child pornography, communication with a young person to commit a sexual offense, and criminal harassment. Last week, we learned Coban has been in custody since he landed in B.C. more than two months ago. His next court appearance is April 12th. Romina Dea, Global News. It's been called a crucial step toward reconciliation, but last month, Surrey City Council rejected a motion to acknowledge Indigenous land rights before every council meeting. Nitu Garcha has more on how Surrey's mayor is sidestepping the issue and reaction from Indigenous leaders. Especially as these communities continue to suffer the generational effects of colonization and in this first Canadian province to pass legislation on the UN Indigenous Rights Declaration, this... We, we haven't let the um, First Nations down. In fact, part of my family is First Nations. There are We've many who say they feel let down, Mayor McCallum. Well, I haven't heard any um, in Surrey. Is disappointing, according to the BC Assembly of First Nations. Yeah, I think um, very tone deaf on, on behalf of uh, Mayor McCollum. Surrey's mayor refusing to apologize for a council decision to reject territorial land acknowledgements at their meetings. 
I find it very unusual because quite simply other uh, cities, such as the city of Vancouver, city of Prince George, other municipalities are doing it everywhere. He says McCallum's claims that he's on good terms with all First Nations in his community simply aren't true. And while land acknowledgements are a small step, they're an important part of reconciliation, as is removing narratives like this. We are going to put a First Nations huge plaque up in our city hall, which you see behind of us. He needs to step up and do that apology and he needs to be able to do the land rights recognitions and beyond just tokenism of art and totem poles. So what are councillors afraid of if they engage in this practice of acknowledgement? These really um, tacit forms of resistance that are generally rooted in a not knowing or not understanding who the Indigenous people on this land are and um, so that to me, is what that sounds like. And until that changes, she says, there's no true responsibility being taken for what it means to live on a colonized land. Neetu Garcha, Global News. A Heisla woman and her partner are suing the Northern Health Authority after their baby girl died. Last month, Sarah Morrison, who was about two weeks overdue, went to Kitimat General Hospital with steady contractions. But instead of being admitted, she was redirected to Mills Memorial Hospital in Terrace, a 45-minute drive away. She was also refused ambulance transport. The lawsuit says it was obvious upon arrival at that second hospital that the unborn baby was in distress, yet no meaningful attempts were made to save the baby. The couple alleges in a statement of claim that the Northern Health Authority, several doctors, Kitimat General Hospital and Mills Memorial Hospital used racial stereotypes and failed to provide emergency care. None of the claims has been proven in court. While concerns are being raised about the dismantling of the cultural safety facilitation team at Island Health, particularly in light of the recent high-profile investigation into anti-Indigenous racism in BC's healthcare system, the leader of the group, a First Nations woman, says she was fired without cause in September, while the rest of her team has been moved to other positions. Richard Zussman reports. Yvette Ringham Cowan is still trying to wrap her head around it. Dismissed in September, she describes it without cause from her job running Vancouver Island Health's cultural safety team. There was never an opportunity to share the work that we'd done, um, show the analysis that was behind it. Her biggest worry is the gap her dismissal has left, leaving no one to fulfill the responsibility of combating anti-Indigenous racism at Island Health. I'm very frustrated with the fact that there is a lack of understanding about what actually is required on the ground to do this work. The changes came in the midst of a province-wide investigation into systemic racism against Indigenous people in BC's healthcare system. Led by Mary Ellen Turpel lafont the review led to a series of recommendations, including a standard for anti-racism training. One you know, response to the review should not be to eliminate people who provide leadership on cultural safety and humility. At the same time, you know, I, I can't get involved in employee-employer conflict. The province has hired another Indigenous woman, Dawn Thomas, to implement many of the report's recommendations. Trapel Lafont says the cultural safety team originally raised their concerns with her about being dismissed, then withdrew it, and is still unclear on what the team's impact was. They did not have the answer for the system because they did not have any measurement evaluation tool, and they were not linked into the systems. The province won't comment on the dismissal because it's a human resources issue. But Health Minister Adrian Dick says he's not worried about a service gap. 
there are going to be significantly more people working in this area. I mean significantly more in the coming weeks and months. But this doesn't sit well with Ringham Cohen. Without us inside of the system on the ground doing the operational work, that, um, that is lost now. And she is left wanting to fight the one thing she has dedicated her career to, stopping racism in Vancouver Island's health care system. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Taking the church to court. The B.C. government wants an order to stop three places of worship from holding in-person services. What the judge has to say about it and today's COVID case count next on the News Hour. An angry protest in an Nanaimo neighborhood. The animal abuse allegations that started it coming up. And a drive-by celebration for a special member of the Vancouver Fire Department. That's later. Right now, though, here's a look at the latest COVID-19 numbers for our province. We have 445 new cases, bringing BC's total to 72,750. Ten more people have died, though. That means we've now lost 1,288 people to complications of the virus. 226 people are in hospital, 61 in the ICU. Just over 67,000 people are considered recovered. And we are left with 4,347 active cases and 7,035 people in self-isolation. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on today's briefing from Dr. Henry and Adrian Dix. Keith, the variants were a big focus today. 46 confirmed cases in BC and another new variant. Another one that a few people had even heard about. This is a Nigerian uh, variant uh, brought into this uh, province by someone who had just arrived from Nigeria and is located in the Interior Health Authority. So 46 uh, variant cases on top of that one. 29 of the UK variant, 17 of the South Africa one. That's up from 40 on Monday. Not a big uptick at all. And the numbers themselves are far less than what we're seeing with variants in Alberta and Ontario and such. But Dr. Bonnie Henry today made the point, uh, this type of virus, this variant very much depends on travel. A lot of people arriving in this country are coming from countries where the variant takes root, and that means that virus could spread quite quickly. It is people moving that spreads this virus, including the variants. And I've also said a few times, you know, we know that the more transmission you have, the more cases there are, the more opportunities there are for the virus to change, for a mutation to happen as it replicates. So it's not surprising to me that we started to see the, the variants arise in countries that were having a lot of transmission in some communities, and then, of course, it takes off. So the good news is we only have three or four active cases of the variant virus. Uh, and that number, of course, will change in the days ahead. A reminder, there's no briefing from Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix on Monday, it being family day, family day. So the next time we get case numbers will be on Tuesday, as well as a briefing from both of them. Well, let's hope that they're uh, a little bit lower, Keith. Thank you. <laughs> The issue of religious freedom versus public safety was front and centre in B.C. Supreme Court today, with the B.C. government asking for an unprecedented injunction against three churches. As Paul Johnson reports, the government is going to have to wait to see whether it gets it. Yeah, if the provincial government was hoping for a speedy injunction on this issue, that got scotched this afternoon when the judge said he was going to wait until Wednesday morning to decide. And this after, he had some pretty tough questions for the government lawyers about why they were asking for an injunction when they already have 
powers that they can use to enforce the health orders. The case revolves around three churches in the Fraser Valley where members have been regularly defying the province's order against religious gatherings. Mounties have been giving them tickets on Sundays, but that hasn't stopped them. So the province decided to up the stakes and ask for an injunction that would allow the police to arrest them. This has triggered one of the most intriguing legal arguments over the health orders yet. If people get together in a room to have a, have a pint of beer and talk about the Vancouver Canucks, evidently that's fine. If they get together in a room to, to discuss God or to pray, evidently that's unacceptable. It's, a, it's an entirely arbitrary uh, distinction. Now the government lawyers say there's evidence that shows religious gatherings are inherently less safe than other settings, but they didn't have any of that evidence to present to the judge today. We asked Dr. Bonnie Henry to elaborate on that point. Here's what she had to say. The nature of the interaction, the social interaction that you have with a faith group is, is fundamentally different than some of the transactional relationships we have if we're going to a store or even going to uh, you know, an individual working out in a gym, an individual going to a, a restaurant or with your small group of people. Now, if the government succeeds in getting its injunction, they have to be prepared to enforce it and deal with the spectacle of arrests. Uh, clearly no government anywhere would like to have churchgoers arrested and taken away in paddy wagons uh, because the optics of that are not very pleasant. I think that probably a majority of people would say if the rules are the rules you can't disobey them. Well we'll find out about that injunction Wednesday morning. There's actually a larger case that's going on here and that's whether the health orders violate the charter rights of religious people together. And that case won't get underway until March. That's the latest from here in Vancouver. Back to you. Paul Johnson at BC Supreme Court. Paul, thank you. The BC government and the province's ski hills have launched a new campaign aimed at reducing COVID-19 transmission. Ski Well, Be Well, that's what it's called. It includes ads and online information reinforcing the importance of social distancing, hand washing, and avoiding apres situations where COVID transmission is more likely. The campaign follows significant COVID transmission clusters in the resort towns of Revelstoke, Fernie, Whistler, and... At Big White near Kelowna, the province's 37 ski hills employ more than 21,000 people and the industry is worth about $2 billion to the B.C. economy. Speaking of snow, meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now. Christy, everyone wants to know, is it coming? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it's been a really tough call for the lower mainland. Sophie, I've been working on this all day long. The biggest concern is we have such dry air, you probably feel it on your skin. So it takes a while to scour out that dry air and to really get some accumulations across the lower mainland. This is what we're calling, though, for is certainly Vancouver Island will get hit. And I'll talk more about that a little bit later. There are some big concerns across Vancouver Island. But for the lower mainland, we're talking about minimal to moderate amounts, two to six centimeters likely and we'll talk a little bit later about who will likely see that six but enough Sophie that we certainly could see some problems across the lower mainland and certainly the kids should be able to get out there in the toboggans. All right, that's good news for them. We'll talk to you in a bit. Thanks Christy. A day at the pool turns into a painful ordeal. They also agreed that it looked like it was a chemical rash. What happened when they went for a dip in the hotel pool? Also ahead, deadline at Strathcona Park. Why campers are being told to move from one side to the other. 
good news here in downtown Vancouver. Final clearing stages of a broken water main that's affecting eastbound traffic on Georgia Street at Cardero. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $50 million plus an estimated two max millions. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One. I above a broken water main in downtown Vancouver. Work is getting underway at Strathcona Park, the first step in what's expected to be a long process to remove the tent city from the park. Crews have set up a fence, cutting the park in half, while the park board has posted signs ordering tents, shelters and structures be removed from the west side of the park by next Wednesday, February 17th. There are currently about a dozen tents set up on the west side of the park, while the main encampment, with some 200 residents, is on the east side of the fence. The park has been home to a growing tent city for almost a year after a similar camp was taken down in Oppenheimer Park last spring. The provincial government has said it wants that park cleared by the end of April. A lot of this work is with the intention of getting folks into stable housing. And, and so by sort of asserting a little bit more kind of control and, 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 and fixing some of the, the issues around that, we're hoping to see folks get indoors sooner than later and working towards our, our April deadline. Meanwhile, a new poll has found an overwhelming majority of Vancouver residents believe something needs to be done about the Strathcona Park tent city. The Insights West poll found 88% of Vancouver residents say homelessness is having a direct impact on them personally. 47% of those surveyed say they're in favor of getting an injunction and having police clear out the park, while 42% say they say the city and park board should allow the tent city residents to stay and provide services such as warming areas, washroom facilities, and showers. A bizarre incident has Nanaimo cat owners concerned. The BCSPCA has opened an animal cruelty investigation after a report of a person allegedly trapping a cat and releasing it out of town. And as Kylie Stanton reports, the community is worried this is not an isolated incident. She weighs only three pounds. Purring softly and finally home. But this reunion has been bittersweet. I was so happy, but at the same time, it was like the worst feeling that I've ever felt in my life. Bridget Duckett picked up her cat Lucky earlier this week, only to find her severely emaciated, injured, and scared. It's absolutely sick that another human being could do that too. To an animal. Lucky went missing on January 7th. Duckett rallied the Facebook community to help, posting in pet searchers of Nanaimo. It was there she caught a break. She came across a post showing a vehicle with a washing machine in the back. It alleged the man driving it was abandoning a cat, matching Lucky's description in nearby Cedar. Duckett thought she'd recognized it as one she had seen before. I walked over and the truck was a match and had a washer in the back of his truck. We tried reaching out for comment, but there was no response. The BCSPCA is now looking into Duckett's claims and are encouraging others to come forward. If there are people that are concerned or they have um, other evidence of this happening on other occasions. Do you have any other animals in your shed? But animal rights activists are a step ahead, claiming several cats have gone missing in the area. It can't be tolerated anymore. It's disgusting. 
The city of Nanaimo has drafted an animal responsibility bylaw to address the feral cat issue that would require owners to have their cats ID'd and sterilized. Get your cats chipped, get your cat tattooed in case they do get picked up or trapped. Duckett is on board, saying this ordeal has been an eye-opener. It was terrifying for me. Her cat still has a long road to recovery. Duckett can only hope Lucky lives up to her name. Kylie Stanton, Global News. A Revelstoke mother is sharing her story after a swim with her baby at a Kelowna hotel pool had them seeking medical help. Global's Jules Knox explains. <laughs> baby Jolene went to the pool with her family at Kelowna's Comfort Suites. And afterwards, her mom says the six-month-old turned unusually fussy. By morning, Melissa Kennedy says her daughter was covered in a head-to-toe rash. It was red, it was swollen, it looked like a blanket, like it didn't even look like skin. Kennedy says she then noticed that her own chest and torso were also covered in a rash. My bathing suit was still in the in the bathroom and I looked down and it, it had like big bleach spots on it. The mother says her frustration grew when she tried to show the front desk her bleached bathing suit and her baby's rash. They like they wouldn't even look. They were just like, nope, it's monitored every day. There's no way that this could happen. Kennedy says she spent the day in tears and took her screaming baby to see the doctor. They also agreed that it looked like it was a chemical rash. In an email to Kennedy, Kelowna's Comfort Suite said that it does check its pool daily and that it received no other complaints. The hotel also told Global News that it has taken prompt action with Interior Health performing an on-site inspection. Poor baby. As for the baby, it's been four days, but Kennedy says Jolene is still uncomfortable wearing clothes or being held. Kennedy feels that the hotel should have immediately closed the pool and investigated. She's hoping that by sharing her story, she'll help prevent another family from going through the same heartbreak. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. Still ahead, COVID's most vulnerable victims. Why is the immune system in these elderly people unable to fight off the infection? Why answering that question is so important, even after the pandemic ends. Also ahead, defending Donald Trump, how the lawyers for the former president are making their case. is nice and steady over here now at the Patello Bridge after clearing some earlier problems. Just pockets of volume now southbound down McBride through the Queens Park stretch. Kermac Collision and Auto Glass have been family run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. Former President Donald Trump's defense team began a full day of arguments today in his Senate impeachment trial. It comes after House Democrats wrapped up two days of presentations that included video footage of last month's Capitol riot. Global's Reggie Cicchini is covering the trial for us. Reggie, Trump's lawyers have been arguing uh, that Trump's speech was all figurative, that Democrats' language in the past has really been no different. Yeah, good evening, Sophie. Look, these lawyers today were speaking to a room full of Republicans, but they were also speaking to that audience of one in Mar-a-Lago, Florida. And the crux of their argument originally focused on the fact that this was unconstitutional because Donald Trump's no longer in office, but that was thrown out earlier in the week because the Senate voted to say, well, this is constitutional. We have to remember that these were not constitutional scholars that were arguing today. One of them 
is a personal injury attorney. Nonetheless, to try and absolve Donald Trump from any kind of wrongdoing, they focused on that speech he gave in the moments before there was an attack on the U.S. Capitol by saying that everything he said was appropriate, but also protected under freedom of speech. But also, if anyone took those words incorrectly, well, then they need to be held responsible, not Donald Trump. At some points, they were taking words that Democrats used in the past, like using the word fight, uh, and tried to say that that was kind of akin to what Donald Trump said, even as Democrats were talking about fighting things like racial injustice and fighting to end things like the COVID-19 crisis. But then the argument turned to, well, hey, Donald Trump was still speaking. The attack started to happen. So Donald Trump really can't be held responsible. The fact that the attacks were apparently premeditated, as alleged by the House managers, demonstrates the ludicrousness of the incitement allegation against the president. And Sophie, what that does is ignore the fact that for months, Donald Trump pushed a series of lies about election fraud uh, and his own election, along with the delegitimizing of Joe Biden's victory. And what that did was whip his base up into a frenzy. All right, Reggie, what are the chances here of juror impartiality and when are we expecting a verdict? So, look, the jurors take an oath of impartiality at the beginning of an impeachment trial. But in a divided Senate like this, it's really hard to see how that happens. In some cases, last night and earlier today, members of the Republican Party were actually meeting behind closed doors with Donald Trump's defense team. So it's hard to see how you can be impartial with this. Nonetheless, questions wrapped up today. Tomorrow, we're expecting closing arguments. We could have an acquittal vote by the end of the day on Saturday. All right, we'll see what happens. Reggie Cicchini in Washington, thank you. The devastating toll of the COVID-19 pandemic on residents of long-term care facilities is well documented. Now a new long-term study by a coalition of BC's top researchers will try to find out why the elderly are so much more vulnerable. Linda Ellsworth tells us what they hope to do with their results. It's no secret that those suffering the greatest from COVID-19 are the elderly, especially those living in long-term care. Dr. Mark Romney worked at the Holy Family Facility in Vancouver when it was suffering one of BC's worst outbreaks. So something that was a residence, a home, had to be over a period of just uh, a few weeks, be converted into an outbreak ward. And that was a huge undertaking. As head of microbiology and virology at St. Paul's Hospital, Dr. Romney decided not to just file the experience away and move on. So I thought, uh, why don't we uh, use this as an opportunity, we'd learn from it, and, and possibly uh, protect others in the future from a similar uh, kind of uh, outbreak. He secured $1.2 million from the federal government to find answers to questions like, why is the immune system in the elderly less able to fight off the infection? And also things like, were they in a four-bedroom? Did they tend to wander? So kind of social and epidemiological factors that might have contributed to transmission in the facility. The study will also investigate how effective vaccines are in this vulnerable population. So we're going to uh, do uh, uh, quantitative testing in people who recovered naturally, who have vaccine-induced uh, immunity, and also in people who, uh, who haven't been vaccinated. By doing this with elderly residents, then comparing results with their younger caregivers, they'll be able to observe differences in how robust and long-lasting immunity is. Is the vaccine going to work? Do we need an adjuvant, for example? Do we need to boost the vaccine with a special chemical? Uh, that'll be important to know. A dozen researchers at various BC institutions have teamed up to find answers. Because while the pandemic will end, it would seem that the SARS-CoV-2 virus is here to stay. 
there will still be vulnerable people who over time will get severe infections and we want to learn from this study to protect those people. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Just ahead, Vancouver firefighters called out to a birthday party. (laughs) The special drive-through celebration for one of their own. And later, the goal of the game is to score goals to win games. The Canucks' offensive drought later in sports. Hard pass. Meteorologist Christy Gordon, uh, that that forecast has been so finicky the last couple of days. Oh, yeah, so finicky. And that's sometimes the case when we get this really dry air mass in place. It's sort of a battle between these two air masses. Let me show you the graphic, just displaying what we are going to see. So Pacific air moves in from the west. That's mild or moist flow. We've got dry, cold air still pushing from the interior regions all the way out towards the coast. Now, overnight tonight, we're going to see that Pacific air move on to Vancouver Island. Heavy snowfall expected for your region, but it will likely still remain quite dry across the main mainland regions because that arctic air is still being pushed out towards the coast that may be the case even into the morning hours now we'll likely see some snowfall but in terms of real accumulations for the lower mainland and mainland areas we may not see a lot during this time frame whereas vancouver island will see likely significant amounts now in the afternoon once we really scour out that dry air that's when we may start to see accumulations across the lower mainland so that would be late morning into the afternoon hours and again this is the distribution of snowfall up to 25 centimeters for parts of Vancouver Island gusty winds as well so reduced visibility on the roads as well as rapidly accumulating snow this is not a time for driving this is a time for tobogganing and enjoy it whereas lower mainland and maybe far less for some areas here's the distribution areas near the water may see more areas out towards the Fraser Valley may not see much at all now across the northern regions sunshine and cold not nearly as cold as what you have been experiencing So a bit of an improvement there, but the snowfall really is targeting the South Coast area, particularly Vancouver Island. So it's definitely a snow day for you there. For our region, still a bit iffy with that two to six centimeter range expected. And then we will warm up a little bit on Sunday and likely transition towards just showers. And here's tonight's central windows weather window. We don't see this very often. This is the Fraser River in Mission with some pretty Mm -hmm. big chunks of ice on there. Yeah, very. All right. Thanks for that christy vancouver firefighters helped one of their own mark a milestone with a drive-by celebration a parade of fire trucks and other well-wishers were on hand to wish a happy 100th birthday to retired chief training officer carl bud kellett Kellett joined the fire department in 1941, then served in the Navy during the war before rejoining the department and finally retiring in 1979. Following his retirement, he served as the chief training officer at the Justice Institute, teaching the ropes to generations of BC firefighters. I've been very lucky. I came back and uh, was very successful in my exams for lieutenant and also from lieutenant to captain and from captain to chief and I was very interested in training so I took several courses of training at UBC various places like that and uh, I spent the rest of my career as chief training officer and you know if the 100 birthday candles got out of hand 
there in the They rain. were there. They had hoses and everything. They would have known what to do. It's pretty cool when you get a parade for your birthday. You have to be 100 for yeah. that. Yeah, or I guess if you're like a world leader, they do parades for you. But Not really for us. Not for us. I'll do a parade of one for you for your birthday. I, that's okay. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. Wait, wait till there's more of you. It'll be way better. Bring friends. Uh, the uh, Canucks lost to Calgary last night. It was at least a better game than they were playing earlier in the losing streak when they were way too wide open. I think we were playing a game before that uh, you know, isn't really the identity of our team. Two unlucky bounces last night. That was pretty much the difference. So will the Canucks' dedication to defense end this downward trend? And later, Friday Night Fun and Weirdness, Satellite Debris, still to come. So they're still losing, but -hmm. they're losing better? (laughs) Well, I mean, you can either lose by getting just blown right out, or you can lose by saying, man, we were close to winning. I guess that's better. It's not the same as winning, though, as actually winning. No, it's never the same as winning. But when you're losing close games, there is a chance you could win. When you're getting beat by tons, there's no chance. Hmm. And the way the Canucks were losing games earlier this season, getting blown out has made them very defensive. Not from the criticism of losing six in a row. They are actually trying to play with more attention to defensive detail. So they are at least in the games, and they have a chance to win, like last night in their 3-1 loss to Calgary, which is good. But now the problem seems to be the Canucks can stop goals from being scored, but they can't score them as much themselves. Last week at this time, when the Canucks were only on a three-game losing streak, they talked about tightening up defensively, and they have in the last three games, averaging just over 25 shots against. Of course, they've lost all three. While they've been better defensively, their offense has completely dried up. Just single goals in each of the last three games. And their top guns are the ones who are in a major drought. Bo Horvat just one in his last nine. Elias Pettersson just two in his last seven. And JT Miller one in his last eight. Our focus is more pucks than net. Um, our shot totals have been way better the last few games. That's a huge focus. If you're, if you're over 30 shots, you got a chance every night. So um, we got to stay with that focus. And again, not change much from what we've done the last few days here. Uh, just keep pushing. And even though they haven't got the results yet, the Canucks know they have to stick to a structured defensive game to have any chance of turning this thing around. The goals will come, but playing run and gun won't get them enough wins in the long haul. You're not going to win a lot of games if you're just playing loose hockey in this league. You're going to get eaten up eventually. And I think our group knows and understands and believes that we have to be good away from the puck to be good with the puck. And uh, the less time you spend in your own zone, the better chance you have of scoring in the other zone. It's been two weeks since their last win, and the Canucks have run through a gamut of emotions, anger, frustration, doom and gloom. It appears they're on their way out of the tailspin, and better days are ahead, they hope. Uh, Every time you go through a tough stretch, it always makes you better as an individual, and uh, it makes you better as a group, and we're going to be better for this uh, going through hard times. It's not what we want, but... uh, We've got to continue to put our best foot forward and good things will happen. The last time the Canucks offense was really clicking was against the Ottawa Senators when they scored 16 goals in a three-game sweep. Now the good news is they do play the Sens six more times this year 
But the bad news is that's not again until mid-March. They have 14 more games to go until then. And if the Canucks keep up their losing ways, they will be long out of the playoff race by then. At Rogers Arena, Barry DeLay, Global Sports. The Western Hockey League teams from Manitoba and Saskatchewan have been approved to play a 24-game season starting March 12th. And all seven teams from those two provinces are going to play those games in Regina. That will be the hub. Alberta teams have been approved to play a short schedule. So have the American teams. The only division that hasn't been approved yet to play a short season is the BC division. Uh, second round, AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, which of course is a tournament that Nick Taylor won last year. Playing okay, made the cut. At minus four, tied for 25th. Merritt's Roger Sloan did not make the cut. A guy who hasn't won in a while is leading. That man, Jordan Spieth, and this is a birdie on eight. He's at 12 under par. He hasn't won since 2017. Milos Ronic is supposed to play Novak Djokovic in the fourth round of the Australian Open, but nobody's sure if Djokovic can play this match. He thinks he tore a muscle in his abdomen in his third round match. If he pulls out, and not the hope for that, but Ronich has never really been able to beat Novak Djokovic. If he does pull out, then Milos will reach the third, make that the quarterfinals at the Australian Open for the third straight year. Okay, early this morning, or last night, whatever you like, Felix Oje Aliassim and his old buddy Dennis Chapovalov had a third round match. And look at that shot by Felix. And that was part of a straight set win. Oje Aliassim will now take on. Aslan Karatsev in the fourth round, who uh, upset number eight, Diego Schwartzman. There you go. Very nice. Thank you, Squire. Let's check in with Jay Durant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Sophie. We'll have more on the search for other skiers who may have been caught up in today's avalanche at Blackcomb Glacier. One person is dead, two others injured as the rescue operation continues. Looking for anyone else in an out-of-bounds area. Officials are once again warning about the fragile snowpack in Sea to Sky backcountry. We have a crew on scene. We'll have the very latest for you tonight. That's on Global News at 11, Sophie. All right. Thanks for that, Squire. Stick around. Squire is up next with Satellite Debris. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, sorry, what was your name again? Uh, well, my name is Squire. 
Right. There's only one squire, but there are multiple J's. But now apparently there are multiple squires, <laughs> and there's one less Look, J. Look, I'm on the weekend already. I know, I know. All right, so, well, since it's almost a weekend, let's do satellite debris. And we'll uh, have some uh, Super Bowl commercials we didn't show you on Monday, including uh, one from Bud Light. But first, one from Funky Buddha Hard Seltzer. <laughs> Funky Buddha Premium Hard Seltzer. That's different. Absolutely. Tastes funk lightning. I mean, if Funky Buddha could funk imagine hard seltzer brewed with real cane sugar and agave, then maybe we can all make a more funktastic world for everybody. The Funkiverse works in funksterious ways. Funky Buddha Premium Hard Seltzer. Funky the ordinary. When did Bud Light Seltzer start making lemonade? Probably when 2020 handed us all those lemons. 2020 was a lemon of a year. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I love you. January, February. Has a lot of lemons. Well, you know what they say when life gives you we lemons. We know the saying, Mark. New Bud Light Seltzer Lemonade, packed with lemonade flavor after a lemon of a year. Everyone has a mark. I know. Just mark, just zip it. Uh, okay, so um, bubble hockey, the game bubble hockey, and of course last year in the playoffs it was bubble hockey. This is a tribute to both from Dunkin' Donuts. Inside the bubble with Dunkin'. Whoa, wait, you can pull the goalie in here? Nope, just went to get a Dunkin' cold brew. Aren't you worried about an empty net? No, I'm, I'm pretty cool. Plus the, the puck is in that spot no one can ever really get to, so. Guys, I'm like super annoyed right now. Where there's hockey, there's Dunkin'. So grab a cold brew for game time. Order ahead plus earn rewards. America runs on Dunkin'. Okay, one of the uh, commercials uh, we showed you from the Super Bowl on Monday featured Tracy Morgan for Rocket Mortgage. There was actually two of those, so this is the other one. We both love this place. Now what? Well, I'm pretty sure we have everything in order. Pretty sure. With Rocket, you could be certain. Not pretty sure. What's the difference? Well, let me show you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's all of them. <laughs> Maybe not. I'm pretty sure this won't hurt. <laughs> pretty sure that's a figment of our imaginations. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we could park in Joey Bolson's spot. That spot works too. I'm pretty sure they come in peace. Let's do certain. Yeah, certain is better. When it comes to home buying, pretty sure isn't sure enough. Find the right mortgage with a local broker and Rocket Technology. When you need to be certain, Rocket can. Come on! Wasn't me. Oh. 
What were you asking? Oh, Tracy Morgan. All right, final word on the weather because everyone wants to know about the snow. Christy? Thanks. So we're just getting reports that flakes are falling in Victoria. That will certainly be the hardest hit for our region. Two to six centimeters. Hopefully, hopefully, everyone. (laughs) Get out there, the toboggans. Have a good night. Have a good weekend. Happy New Year, everyone.